A message from our sponsor, Infinity Satellite and Software Solutions, LLC. Barge tracking is becoming more and more important to companies, especially in low river stages and bad weather. Track and manage all of your valuable assets in one source with our comprehensive and easy-to-use web-based mapping and management application. We offer a complete end-to-end -end solution of products, software, services, and support. We offer solar GPS trackers that are intrinsically safe with Class 1, Div 1, and Zone 0 certifications. Our portfolio of GPS satellite products are designed to fit your every need. For vessels, we can automate their ICWW fuel waterways tax by state. The system automatically calculates the taxable river miles traveled, and with just a click of a button, a customer can run an accurate report and pay their taxes by state. Please check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, or at our website, www.infinityssss.com. Welcome back to Between the Levees. I am joined today by Mr. Tim Callahan, another one I met when I started out in this industry in mid-2015 with AEP River Operations. He is currently the president of Callahan Marine Consulting, LLC. He's had a storied career spanning over 40 years now, and I look forward to hearing more about it. Mr. Callahan, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Tim. Good to, good to see you again. Well, I know you're a fan of the show. Uh, what have you liked so far? Well, I've, I've, I've seen some old, uh, some old folks I work with, and I'm saying old folks anywhere from uh, older than me and then younger than me. So, But some teammates that I've worked with uh, for quite a few years. So it was, it was refreshing to see it. Glad to hear it. Well, tell me, sir, you know how these begin. Where were you born? Well, I was born in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, 1964. I'm uh, still resident. I live here in Port Allen on the west bank of Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana. So it's, um, it's been my home. It's been where I grew up, went to high school, and um, also started working on the river on this side. So this is, um, you know, started my career, I guess, back in about 1982. So that's when I, I kicked off. What was life growing up in the, in the mid-60s? It was good. It was good times. Uh, it was safe. You could ride your bicycle to school. It was, uh, it was nice. Uh, kindergarten, riding my bicycle to school. That was a fine memory. And, you know, kids don't get to do that these days. And um, the world's so crazy. But it's, it was nice. It was fun. What about the 70s? 70s was fun, too. Uh, just growing up, uh, the years I did, I'm, I'm very fortunate, I guess I did. And um, it was there was some sanity again in the world that now it doesn't seem like it's as much, but back then it was, it was nice. It was a safe place. And, um, it was fun growing up. What did your parents do for a living? My mom was a homemaker. Um, my dad actually worked on the boats, uh, his whole career. And that's kind of where I got my, my feelings or my uh, roots for the boats. Um, but my dad worked on the, the old steam wheel boats, paddle wheel boats for Exxon. He, uh, my dad was a World War II vet. Um, so basically his whole career, his brothers, all my uncles uh, on his side, they were all riverboat captains or engineers or worked on the boats. What did your father do in World War II? My father was in the Air Force. Uh, he was in uh, artillery, ordnance. Um, so he worked a lot with the uh, bombs and also with the uh, ordnance. Um, don't recall all the 
the things he'd done. But years ago, I think if you look at some old footage, you'll see where the bombs used to tumble out of an airplane and he helped them to fly straight. Um, so they would tumble at one time and then he had them to where they glide. He said it was just the fin wasn't proper on it basically. And, but that's kind of one of the claim to fames that I knew that he did in the uh, war. Did he get out of the military right after his, uh, his service over there? Yeah, he, when he's finished with the military, he went to work in um, drawing back memories. It might have been the company called the Caribbean Swing Company uh, down in Louisiana, uh, hauling timber out the swamps. And um, he always told me if he had a chainsaw when he was a young man, there wouldn't be a tree left in the world. But they used to haul timber out with the old paddle wheel boats. So that's kind of what he did there. Um, then he went to work for uh, Exxon which might've been back then in the day, might've been Standard Oil or Humble or Inco or whoever it may have been, but that's kind of where he went. He went to work with those, those folks. A lot of my family and his brothers worked for Exxon or worked for Shotan and all the old riverboat companies back in the day. So that's kind of what he did. Then I know he worked on the, uh, the Sprig a little bit. He worked on the Rathbone, um, some other boats. And I got some pictures of the Sprig and, family by the sprig and stuff like that. It's just uh, old memorabilia. Do you recall any good stories that uh, your father or your uncles may have shared with you from their careers? Yeah, yeah, dad, dad used to always come home and he would always tell us about his trip. Um, you know, he, he was in the engine room, so he was a chief engineer on the boats. Um, he would always tell me how he fixed things, what he did, what was broke. Uh, and back in those days, the engines and, um, a lot of the stuff was getting uh, developing and higher horsepower engines and just things were developing with diesel engines and stuff. So he would always tell me the stories about what they did, what they were working on. Um, very, very fortunate to where uh, I actually, the last boat he was chief on was the Exxon Kentucky. And then I was also chief on the Exxon Kentucky. So we were, uh, we rode the same boat. So it's like deja vu when you get on it, you, you knew the stories and, he, I knew, he told me so many stories about the boat. It's like I always knew the boat. So it's kind of neat. You know, it was, it was fun. So, but yeah, a lot of stories. And, and, and I had watched Bradley Glenn's uh, podcast prior with, with you. So a lot of the similarities. I, our dads and families, they, we used to go to the boats. We were, the companies didn't mind back then. The insurance most probably wasn't as strict as it is now and things. And, it was a way that the kids could go see what their their parents did or their fathers. And um, it was, it was very helpful, I think. And I wish the world would get back to that other the industry, which is hard um, because of insurance, but it was nice because took trips with him. Um, you know, just multiple things, been to the boat several times down in Baton Rouge at the Exxon refinery. And it was just, it was good as a kid growing up, going to see that. Do you recall the switch? Uh, when did insurance sort of, Take over control you know, of who can be. Yeah, it was, and it could have been, it could have been insurances or company policies changed, you know, because of insurance purposes. Uh, I would say I was most probably, I was still on the boats as an adult and my wife and I would say maybe a couple times I was able to get my, my oldest son out there with me just, but he, he was smaller uh, under control circumstances. But then that was about it. It might have been somewhere towards the 80s. Right, well, back it up to, uh, to school. Were you drawn to anything aside from engineering? No, I was always, 
I always liked to work on stuff, uh, figured out how it worked, um, you know, hunting and fishing naturally, um, did a lot of that, but I always liked tinkering with stuff and trying to figure it out or building things and, you know, kind of still do to today. It's, um, let you, it lets your mind think a lot. You can, you can, um, you can do a lot with it, you know? So it is fun. Well, if my math is right, it looks like you went straight into the industry after high school. Is that correct? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Do you have any, uh, any interesting stories from high school related to the industry or not? Well, it, high school was fun. We were, uh, it's a little small town here. It was, uh, I mean, it's, it was back when, you know, everybody was, you'd have your shotgun in the back window of your truck and it was just, it was good times. Um, nothing never really bad happened. We'd all go to parties on a levee and stuff like that. So that's just your, your teenage years. And, you know, so it was, it was good times. Um, and then, you know, then the real world sets in, you start, you start working for a living. So, uh, my whole career I worked even, in, even as a, as a young man, riding a bicycle with a lawnmower behind my bicycle going cut people's grass we worked we just had to because that's the way we were brought up and you had to you had to support yourself as much as you could because money was not there so not that i minded it was um it was all good times but then um i you know worked at several gas stations and stuff during school but then after school i went to work for a little company here in town uh, apex oil company and um so they have a little um uh, a little terminal here in Port Allen and about 1982 I started there um I used to go and sell on their boiler barge they had a boiler barge that we would uh, have to go tie up at certain plants maybe like at uh Clark Oil Company down in Mount Airy Refinery and provide steam to the plant steam barges so I would I would live on the barge quite a quite a bit of time um a lot of experience with boilers um steam boilers um kind of where I, I guess I got my steam uh, interest and also got my license through the Coast Guard, but tank barges with Apex. Um, so that was kind of my first first shot at the career. And then we had a naturally back in the early 80s, we had a downturn in the business. So pretty much everybody was getting laid off. You couldn't find a job. Went and did a little construction for a little while. Um, roofed houses, roofed apartment buildings, just, just anything you can do to make a living. And then um, in 1984, um, and my dad had uh, most probably retired by then, and he called up at Exxon and talked to some of the folks and told him I was ready to go ride a boat and, you know, go ahead and go to work for Exxon. And so helped me get on and everything. And, and that's kind of where I started my Exxon career right there in about 1984. Tell me what uh, was deckhand onboarding back then? What was your training regimen in, in 1982, getting on a boat for the first time? Well, um, so... In 82, so through Apex that time, basically you just you just worked in the ranks of everything, uh, really not a, a lot of structure. Um, basically, you just go to work. They tell you to be careful, watch what's going on. But that was about it. That was that was kind of working under someone that was supervising you. Um, the the training really kicked in towards the Exxon side. Um, so left apex like i said we had a layoff then exxon so to get on with exxon already had my tankerman's license back then which used to be called a z cards so i already had that and i was a licensed tankerman so no matter what you still had to go through the exxon training requirements back in the day so there was this um 
school up in Helena, Arkansas was called National River Academy. You have to go there to do all the schooling and everything and your training and, and just everything about river boats was taught there. Uh, that was their training facility. They had uh, tank barges. They had uh, little mock tank barges. They had uh, platforms to where you can make up tow outside on the deck, like cement barges and stuff. Um, kind of like the ones we, uh, we had at AEP. So that's where you got a lot of training and um, they, they would take all the new people. Now there was also, I think it was accredited college or maritime academy at one time to where people would stay there a lot longer than just for basic deckhand training or engineer training or whatever training it was, you know. So I think it was an accredited school that went further than what we did. It was just training, basic training. So, you know, same, same thing. You lived in like a little dorm. It had a bunk per room or a bunk, two bunks per room. You had to go in. You had to clean the galley. You had to clean the bathrooms. They was teaching you boat life. Well, it looks like you were with Exxon almost 20 years. Tell me about that, uh, your tenure there. Yeah, I, I so I, I started off with, as a deckhand. Um, immediately, I had my, like I said, I had my tankman's license. Um, I started tanking barges right away. It's most probably just about a year into my career at Exxon that I went into the engine room. They had openings. Um, just kept applying. And then, you know, you started off on a small boat. Then you'd work your way up. They would call you like a, a, a utility man. So basically, you, you decked a little bit. You worked the engine room a little bit. You cooked a little bit. And you just keep progressing from there. Um, next steps is moving up to bigger boats, more horsepower. Um, and then to keep climbing and progressing with Exxon, you had to get a license. If you didn't require acquire your license, you didn't move up. You could stay right there and, and, and be the best utility man you wanted to be or best deckhand. That's fine. Um, but they, they encouraged you to move up and they would pay for your license and you had to go do your schooling and all that stuff. Um, you know, you did it on your own time, but you had to do it. And so worked my way all the way up through the ranks. Um, Rode a whole bunch of different class of vessels, um, anywhere from you know eighteen hundred horsepower all the way up to uh, seventy two hundred horsepower, which is the Kentucky, the bigger one. But it was fun. We we would have runs from anywhere from Baton Rouge, you know, out of the Baton Rouge refinery was the hub, or the Baytown refinery was the hub. So we would run from um, either Baton Rouge to Baytown, grab a load, go to Joliet, Illinois, or we would run. Um, certain runs down towards the Chalmette down here and bring stuff to the refinery. So at the end of the day, we would have, you know, basically runs anywhere from Pittsburgh, Chicago, uh, right there in Joliet, um, a few other spots, but mostly, mostly all that area. We did have some runs in the Gulf with the smaller boats that we would run towards Grand Isle. We'd go through Lafitte and go down to Grand Isle and bring, uh, some jet fuel and, uh, um, aviation fuel for the uh, helicopters and stuff. So, um, but I got a lot of experience on the waterways. Uh, I'm not a skipper or anything. Um, I just didn't want to ever really do the be a wheelman just because being cooped up in one spot. I like to move around and and tinker with things. So, um, I take my hat off to those guys who do it. But I'm I'm a motorman, and uh, that's kind of what I like. And uh, but but yeah, and then. The last part of the career riding the boats, I was, uh, you know, we would leave Baton Rouge 
we would push 13 million gallons of petroleum products to Memphis, Tennessee once a week. We turn around and come back and do it again. And that was our run. So we'd make three to four trips, most probably four trips. And then you'd come, get off the boat, your relief would relieve you, and you know, you come home for the month. We would work a 30 and 30 rotation. Um, so that worked out. So I, I stayed there and got on that boat. And, you know, just during my career, I'm saying, man, look, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm still fairly young engineer. I didn't got as high as I could get with Exxon on the boat. So then I come on shore that they had a position. They asked me to come on shore and I started helping on shore, helping with projects. Uh, then I become a repair superintendent and I was able like a port engineer. Um, so I started doing that as you um, scheduling all the shipyards, doing the dry dockings, working with the team on the boats and um, just overseeing the shipyard repairs. And just kept doing that. And then later in my career, I was asked to uh, come help out on some ship projects um, in San Francisco and Los Angeles and some other places, uh, Seattle. So I was, I was exposed to some blue water then. And it was fun. It was good times. And, um, you know, had, had Exxon not sold and everything else, my career would most probably still be with Exxon. But they chose a different path um you know after the the Valdez and everything else so but it was it was a good career and then you know they so naturally sold to Kirby and you know then that's that's a different chapter but you know that's kind of what my Exxon career was what was one of the more surprising things you saw when you got out there on the water you know the back then you know early in your career well even most probably late in my career on the boats we didn't really we didn't have communications uh we didn't have cell phones. We had either uh, uh, the radio and then you then Watercom come along, but we didn't have communication. So you, you was pretty much cut off from the outside world or family. You didn't really know what was going on. Um, they knew how to come over the radio to get an emergency phone call to you, but you never got called. But, you know, so the scenery, um, some of the things that I saw this to, you know, running down to the Gulf some of the captains didn't understand the run. So I'd, I'd go up there and just kind of guide them and show, Hey, this is the way the route you take. Cause I've kind of fished down in my whole life and stuff. And then just, um, but the, the sceneries and um, the, the, the snow, I mean, you know, hell, we don't get no snow in Louisiana like that. And you get up North, man, you got snow. And let me tell you, I, they can have that stuff. I hate it. <laughs> so, um, but, but the weather and um, you know, you, but you was totally out of communications and half, half the time the TV didn't work. We didn't have no satellite. You just had a, some rabbit ears or the intent on a boat. So it was a lot of chess playing, a lot of drinking coffee, uh, checking toe painting. I mean, it was, it was, it was a fun experience. I mean, it was, it's not for everybody, but, um, it, it was a good experience. I, I take my hat off to them, you know, to stay out there all those years. It was, it was fun. Did you have a favorite run? I would say to Joliet, Illinois was a nice run. That was, that was a run, you know, you'd come all the way up there. You'd see through, see the hills, you'd get up in, um, you know, just some pure, pure Lake, just places like that. Just, just a nice run. That was, that was nice. Uh, Pittsburgh was nice, but I didn't stay on Pittsburgh very long. So we moved over to Joliet. Uh, and then the other runs was basically pretty brutal. That was to Memphis and back every, every week. And, you know, you was, you was running hard. So it was, um, but I would say Joliet was a nice run. You said y'all loaded out in Baytown sometimes. Yeah, we did. We would, we would load. Um, so 
we would take some of the toes, we would run over there, pick up chemicals, and we would run chemicals up to the Joliet refinery. Um, that one would require a lot, lot more chemicals. And then I guess they would disperse them or make whatever they need the goods, or, you know, whatever they needed up north. And they would use the chemicals out of that refinery. Um, Memphis was pretty much gasoline, petroleum products. Um, down south was petroleum products, but chemicals pretty much primarily went to refinery to refinery or to Joliet. That's where we would push our chemicals at that time. Does anything stick out in your mind about running on that canal back there? No, it was, um, you know, we used to push a lot, lot more toes than they have now, a lot more barges. Uh, we would be strung out and I would say most probably we was a thousand foot, if not longer, um, with a bow thruster and stuff like that. So we would push four big barges and, uh, well, four bar, three big barges and one, um, half barge basically that was a unit tow we would have um with an 1800 horsepower boat uh, bow thruster worked at times and stuff like that but the canal was um it was most probably not as congested as it is now but it's getting congested now like that from what i remember well tell me about the sale to kirby and the transition into your new role so we um when exxon decided to sell to uh kirby um we I got offered a job at Kirby as a port engineer. I went to work for Kirby, uh, most probably somewhere, I think it was around 2003, four, um, and stayed with Kirby. So kind of back up at Exxon, um, first joining Exxon and all that, me and my, my girlfriend at the time, my, which is my wife now, she didn't understand nothing about a boat. So when I'm going to, to uh, to jump on a boat her whole family's never worked this kind of lifestyle so she's she's flipping out man she's i'm, I'm quite sure she's saying am i gonna marry this guy or what you know she just never knew about that so uh but she stuck with me and she's still with me now um i got two two sons the they're doing great one of them works with me but to, you know to keep fast forwarding so that's that's back at exxon come to kirby um my, my, my family's young. Everybody's young. Uh, I start, start with Kirby. Uh, I said, you know, me and her talked. I said, I'm going to be a little bit more grounded at Kirby. I'll be more local. At Exxon, I traveled a lot as a repair, uh, port engineer, repair superintendent. I would travel a lot. I would be gone quite a few days out the year. You know, you could be gone 100, almost 200 days a year just doing shipyard projects and things. I think it was a breath of fresh air to kind of get grounded a little bit more. Kirby was right there in Baton Rouge, my office. Um, I would go take care of the, the equipment down towards New Orleans. You know, just just port engineer, just and that's all it's, that's all it was it, it is. And it's gonna, you know, you're grinding it out being a port engineer. And I stayed with Kirby until uh 2010. And I had the opportunity then to uh get a job with Enterprise products at the time. They was just recently acquiring um Synac towing. So I was able to get a job with uh, Enterprise. And um, I went over to Enterprise, which was based out of Homa. And that was, um, you know, quite a bit of traveling as far as staying down toward the Homa area, um, you know, pretty much away from home quite a bit there, but during the week and coming home on weekends and uh, our drive back and forth quite a bit. So, but I, I did that lifestyle, but, you know, 
I guess to back up a little bit from Kirby, I, I was at the end of my career with Kirby. I wasn't going no further. My family then is much older now. The boys could take care of themselves a lot better. And then I said that when I went to work for Enterprise, I said, now I'm going to start my career. You know, I had a career with Exxon. I've always felt, I wish they wouldn't have sold. It was a good company, but it, it happened. That's, that's life. Um, and then when I left Kirby, I said, now it's time for Tim to do what he needs to do in life. And that's when we put the, uh, we put it to the grind and we took off and, and I haven't stopped yet. So enterprise products, um, great opportunity, great company, um, stayed there, uh, did my job. Then I got an offer from, uh, AEP river operations, bringing me closer to home. Um, uh, good opportunity. So I basically jumped over in uh, 2011 to AEP River Operations and, and then stayed there. And I, that's where I met you and, and quite a few other folks and um, stayed there until basically they, they decided to sell. So I've, I've been sold a lot over my career. I've been sold quite a few times. And um, so it's, but you learn a lot. It makes you stronger. It, it makes you uh, more versatile and, um, you meet you meet a lot of diversity and a lot of a lot of companies that uh, operate differently. And whether it's what you want to do or not, that's you know it's totally your career path. So you choose it. But um, but yeah, AAP was a fine a fine company. Um, I still talk to a lot of people from there. I, I watched your your podcast again with Denny and, and other ones, and I talk to them. I see them regular. Talk to them. Um, so it's uh, but AAP was a good company. Um, I was a senior Gulf manager there. I had to ship yards under my umbrella and stuff. And we had the wash and repair facilities. We had, uh, you know, just all the crew boats pulling in the, the, the boats you see. Uh, matter of fact, I got off one of them today, one of the old boats. So, but it's, uh, it's fun to see them and going out there and have safety meetings with the team on the docks and stuff. That was, that was fun. Um, and, and to bring back old deja vu, I was out there looking at some barges not too long ago. So the wash dock crew that's there now are still doing the safety meetings in the morning, how we used to do them. And I sat there and I was able to participate in another meeting and it was just fun. I mean, it was just like, wow, knew all the guys. It was just like, man, they, they kept that thing going and they said a prayer too. And I mean, it's like, wow, this is great. So a lot, a lot of good fellowship, friendship and uh, working together, good team camaraderie and guys are doing good. Very good to see that. Before we get past AEP, I know, of course, you became, you were, I think, ops manager when I joined yep. the company. Over the years, what's the craziest call you've ever gotten for a, a port engineer? Well, craziest call as a port engineer or as from a port engineer? So how, or just a crazy call? Well, I guess both. Well, so you, you hear a lot of, uh, well, Okay, so I've, I, to this day, I still pick on him. Um, we had some problems with an engine on a boat. It kept either shutting down or just going into a limp mode. So we're sitting there and we just keep talking and we're trying to figure it out. And it was Michael Shepard. We called him Shep. And he was working on the boat. And he kept, he kept calling me and I said, look, it's, it's, it's something simple. We just can't find it. Can't find it. Well, then I guess we get into wee hours in the morning or maybe even the next day and we all coming together to go see what's going on. Well, then we found out that when the, the mechanic got out there 
he went to the control box where all the wires are and they have a number seven wire it's called it was just labeled number seven wire and he said that wire is not supposed to be hooked up he unplugged the wire and that boat ran fine ever since so every time i have an engine problem i'd always call shep and say it's number seven wire go fix it so that was just a little inside joke but it was the weirdest thing that that how it kind of go but but i mean anywhere from broken crankshafts to pistons hanging out of blocks to engines almost cut in half i mean you know you see a lot of stuff when you're out there and uh you know these engines run hard and and they're going to schedule maintenance for you if you don't do your maintenance they're going to schedule it for you it's just their time but uh that was some of the craziest things as far as engine stuff or kind of mechanics that you would kind of see um and 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 don't think you've seen the craziest thing yet in your career because you're going to see another one. Trust me, this will be something totally different. Um, but what what I think another thing was is kind of crazy, and it just, it just kind of blows your mind. We're – I don't know if you remember, we used to all leave and go out and do safety meetings. We'd catch the uh, convent office. We'd do some in the mornings. Then we'd go catch – down at Dockside, we'd do some safety meetings or catch the evening crew. So we would split it all up, and you would be – anywhere we wanted someone – from operations or maintenance to participate with the guys on the boats for a safety meet. Let's talk about it. Let's see anything we got. Let's talk. And we started in, we had a bunch of fall overboards at this time during this year, we was most probably two, three man overboards. We just, man, what's going on here? You know, just what's, what's happening. We're out there talking on the boat. I mean, we're everybody. And I don't remember his name, but I had a gentleman on side. I mean, he was taking notes of everything we was talking about. He was a deckhand. And I seen his notes and he's taking them. He, uh, he participated in a meeting. We said, there's no need to be in a hurry. We want to work safe, efficiently. Don't, don't, let's not fall overboard. There's no need in it. Well, I got a phone call that night. He fell overboard. Thank God he was all safe and sound. We didn't lose nobody. Everybody, whoever fell over was safe and sound at that time. But he fell overboard that night, facing the boat up. And I said, we just had a meeting. So that, it was kind of crazy. That was one of the craziest things. Like, what? What did, you know, what did we do wrong? Or what did he do? You just try to figure out. But it's that the complacency or just, just not watching your balance. And, you know, yourself, you got to be pretty nimble to go out there. It's, it's tough. You know, those guys, they take a beating. And um, so it was, that was one of the craziest things. That's one I, I still think about today. And um, and then we had the, the incident over there in Mobile, Alabama. That was a crazy call with the, the safety runner at the time with the uh, with the tank barge. So that was um, that was a unique call. But, you know, thank God everybody's OK. And, you know, that's that's all hopefully behind everybody. And, you know, everything's good with that. That's a pretty crazy calls. Can you share details of that incident or would you prefer not? Well, I mean, it's, it's for, you know, far as we know, they, they, they basically, the, the, the boat pulled into an area to where they were doing some cleaning from what we gathered. And the only thing we know is that the company who was doing the barge, they were just open venting the barge down. So if you're venting it into the atmosphere and if you're having hydrocarbons or fumes coming off and they're heavier, they may float lower to the water. And that's what we think caused the incident. We pretty much know what caused it, but that's that's what we know of. So into an area, but it was they had the rights to go in there. Everything was no problem, go park. So you know, just if sometimes around these cleaning plants, you just got to be careful and stuff like that. So 
at the end result, you know, like I said, we had one, one of our, our teammates got hurt. Um, the rest of them, I think they maybe sustained some small injuries, but he was the worst one. And, um, I heard he's doing okay. And that's, that's, that's good. Yeah. He was still there when I was there, uh, at AEP. Yep. All right. So the next in your career, I believe was a, a stint at Satoon and a stint at Savage before you went into business for yourself, correct? Yeah, yeah. So when I was at, uh, so after AP, basically uh, ACBL bought them. Um, so I went with AEP, I mean, with American Commercial Bars Line for just a few months. Um, so I didn't, I didn't know how long I would last there or anything else. I mean, it's, you know, they, they had their people already or managers and stuff like that. So uh, again, no harm, no foul, you know, everybody's um, it is what it is. It's business. So, but, but stayed with a American commercial barge line for, I don't even know if I made a year. And um, basically they, they didn't need my services anymore. So um I went off and I started my business then. Uh, I become a marine surveyor then. Uh, dabbled a little bit. Business started doing good. And then I got a phone call from Satoon, worked out something with them. And I said, let me go a few more years with the private sector, you know, the industry, get a little bit more Social Security, thinking about retirement and, you know, just trying to get, get going. Uh, so I did that. And I was in maintenance then uh, as well. And then, um, then they sold to Savage um, in an acquisition. So, you know, here I am, I'm sold again. So it's, uh, it, it, it's, it, it was all good. It was all moves in the right direction. So Savage and Marine came in. Um, I started, I was in the maintenance department. Then they moved me up to director of operations. Um, great company, good people. Um, just, um, just didn't work out at the end of the day. Um, my business was there. I needed to get my business going. And that's, that's what I chose at the end. I started my business then pretty much full-time, 100% full steam ahead. And, um, and that's what I did. And that, that little 16 stint, I started a business. It was there and it was, it was a sweet little thing. And when I went to Savage, it was, it was time to do my own thing. It was time. So that's what I did. And then that's from 18, basically from 16 to 18 till now, it's, uh, I had a brick on the accelerator ever since, and I'm going to keep it there as long as I can. And, we're going to keep moving forward. Well, what does it take to become a Marine surveyor? Well, you, my, so I'm glad you asked. My son's becoming a Marine surveyor now. He's actually, he's an associate member. So you, uh, if you've never been around the equipment and you're, you know, nothing, you would start off as an apprentice. You would need to work with someone. And once you work with that person, you also have a continuing education that you'll have to do. You'll have to um, do reports, um, multiple of things, and then you'll start testing out of certain things. So he'll he's tested out. He he had to do uh, an ethics. Then he'll uh, he has to have time, and then he also needs to have reports. Then he'll he'll eventually he'll test out to keep progressing up to become a full certified marine surveyor as I am, and. Um, but it is a lot of it's a lot of work, a lot of um, a lot of knowledge you have to have, um, a lot of motor skills. It's it's 
you see different things every day. It's, it could be a multiple of things. Um, pretty much all the surveyors work within their expertise. Uh, we have in the whole group, we have someone that may be a cargo specialist. Someone may be specializing in certain things that as a group in NAMS, we're kind of pushing around, hey, anybody needs, know of someone that can do this or this. And that's how we kind of push it around to the person who, who can maybe handle it and also who's an expert in that area. Um, but we see a lot of, like as a, as a Marine surveyor, we do a lot of uh, on charters, off charters. We do a lot of damage claims, a lot of damage on boats. We write that up, a lot of damage on barges. We do um, a multiple of, of, of things on river boats and barges, just um, unbelievable. It's, it's just, you see a lot of stuff. You see a lot of bad things, wrecks and stuff. But that's, that's kind of one of the things as a Marine surveyor you do. Um, you, you could actually go to court a lot. If you want to be an expert witness, I don't care to go to court a lot. Um, it's unfortunate. I do have to go at times, but you know, it is what it is, but a lot of report writing, a lot of time. Um, so that's, that's one side of being, you know, a Marine surveyor. The other stuff I do too, is I'm in compliance. I do a lot of, uh, sub M compliance, a lot of sub M surveys, a lot of sub M audits, dry dock ISCs. So the, the, the things with the compliance, I do quite a bit of that as well. What's the worst incident you've ever had to survey? Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't get to survey the end result. Um, we had a boat. I basically surveyed it, and it wasn't long after it, it had a catastrophic um, event. And that's kind of what all I can really say about it. But it was, that was really one that I said, damn, it, it was, but it was, it was all in good shape. It was nothing wrong. It was just something happened. But, uh, but other than that, you see a lot of, um, a lot of twisted steel, um, a lot of, um, you know, sometimes product in the water, sinkings. Um, thank God, not a lot of injuries, a lot of deaths. You know, not the deaths. I'm not, I never had to pull nobody out yet or anything like that and hope I never have to. I hope I don't even see it, um, which I wouldn't be the one pulling anybody out. But um, so far, our industry, we've, I think we do pretty good. I really do. Um, you know, what's kind of, what's kind of neat, what's kind of neat is if you go, when you're going out there and I'm, I'm able to go and do an audit or survey on a boat, uh, you know, basically we're working under the TPO direction. Uh, as a third party operator, I work for the TPOs. So we go out there and the crew's a little nervous when you show up and it's almost like, you know, Hey, here, you know, somebody's coming out to do another damn survey on audit, you know, it's just like, damn, what are just killing us with this stuff? So it's, it's kind of neat. I've always tell them, Hey, look, man, I'm a fellow towboater just like y'all, man. I've been in your seat. I know we're, I know we're pain in the butt, but come on, let's get through this thing. I'm a, we're going to get it. We're going to make it happen. And I said, we're going to educate each other. And I, I'd rather spend more time with the crews like that than anything. That's, that is very, very front fun. It's rewarding. What's the strange thing about it when you get to go out there, I run across people that I sailed with their daddy. And their daddy was my captain on the boat. And I, when I see their last name, I said, hey, are you Kendra so-and-so? And they said, yes, my daddy. I said, holy cow. And then it wasn't long after that. 
I ran across one that was the great grandson and I sailed with his grandfather, his great grandfather. And I said, dude, I remember your, your dad. I worked with him. I worked with your great grandfather. So I guess I'm getting old, but it was kind of neat to, to see these guys, you know, and it, it's fun. Well, you said one son's following in your footsteps. What's the other one do? So my, my oldest uh, son, um, he is actually a instrumentation guy. He works for Exxon Mobil. He's uh, he works in the refinery. So he's, he works for instrumentation and um, he started his career off. He went to school, um, got his uh, degree in it and just kind of worked up and he landed at Exxon Mobil and that's where he's at now. And he's doing good. And, um, you know, like I said, got, got three grandbabies from him, him and his, uh, his wife, my youngest son's not married yet. He's getting married next year. So then I'm sure grandbabies will come after that, but that's, that's kind of why we have kids so we can have grandbabies. So, but, uh, but yeah, he, the whole family is doing fantastic. It's unbelievable. They're doing great. Great to hear. Uh, finally, do you have any message for the industry out there for any listeners our our friends from AEP, anything like that? You know, the, the, our industry is we're a five mile in our business. Let's keep it straight. Let's keep it. Let's keep everybody safe. Um, never put profit over safety. Uh, the most important thing we do have out there is recruiting good mariners, good teammates. Um, I run across a lot of good people out there and, um, we need them. We need every one of them and we need them to stay safe and get back home to their families. It's, um, it's very hard. We got to compete with a lot of plants, refineries and everything else, um, for our teammates, but safety is my, my number one thing. I never want to see anybody get hurt. That's, that's the worst thing. Steel is steel. We can fix that. We can fix an engine. You just can't replace somebody. That's not what we want. So that's the most important thing. Keep it safe. What's the biggest factor, do you think, contributing to some issues that the industry is facing with recruiting the last couple of years? Well, so a long time ago, I know when like Exxon and other people went to recruit, they went to like the forum belts and places like that. I, I always wanted to see a guy that could pull his engine out of the car and put it back. That's the guy I want because I knew he'd be a motorhead. He'd like to work in maybe an engine room. Um, it was the areas you go to and try to grab those teammates. Uh, now, I don't know. I, I, I just think that maybe exposure people don't understand the river. Still, they, they see stuff pass up and down the river. I got friends that's, that's my age, and they said, what are you doing? I tell them, and they said, we didn't even know that existed. And I said, well, yeah, you see the boats passing the river every day on the bridge. We didn't know what they did. I said, oh, my God. So it's a lot of education. Um, Maybe, maybe more fires or get to the schools or, you know, you know, colleges maybe not be for everybody, but we even had the college kids come out and work for the summers and they'd make their money to go to college. So I just think exposure, a lot of exposure, um, job fairs. And that's, that's the only thing I could see now, you know, also people who want to work is going to work. People who don't want to work, you, you can't get them with nothing. So that's, that's a problem we're facing right now with this whole economy. So, but people who want to work, they'll, they'll find something, but ex exposure, I would say our industry needs a lot of exposure, a lot. Well, hopefully my goofy little project can help with that. Well, you are, you are. But uh, nonetheless, Tim, I do appreciate your time this afternoon. I'm glad we could finally get this lined up. No problem. 
Thank you. This has been a production of Where You At Studios, LLC.